Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of CityWalk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with CityWalk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search CityWalk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Well, good morning, everybody. It's going. It's great to see you all. Uh, like, uh, like, like Virgil mentioned, my name is Josh. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is Josh, and I'm uh, the Next Generation Pastor here at CityWalk Church. Super glad to have you all here. Uh, I hope that your weekend went well. Uh, you had plenty of uh, food and, and plenty of, hopefully, uh, surrounded by loved ones. And, and I, I don't know about you guys, but I think pound for pound, if you love food and you love sports, this is the best weekend of the year. Now, I know some of you may have heard me say that it's the best holiday of the year. That's not what I said. Okay? If you like food and you like sports, as I do, it is, there's no contest about how great Thanksgiving is. Okay? Because you have an overabundance of both. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you uh, had a really, really good time. Um, we're in the middle of a series uh, on Psalms, and I am super gra- uh, grateful that, we can, uh, that I, I'm able to do this and I'm able to get up here and share with you. I know that Matt last week uh, was able to jump into Psalm 34, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you haven't heard it, I would encourage you to do so uh, in Psalm 34, and he told us about how trustworthy God can be. And, uh, and so uh, it was a great message, and uh, I'm thankful for that. So as we, uh, as we jump in, I'm going to ask you kind of a personal question, and I know it's a little early to ask a personal question, and, and, and don't answer this out loud, but when was the last time you felt envious? Now, don't answer out loud. When was the last time you felt envious? Now, you may be thinking to yourself, Josh, that's kind of like, you know, I, so I'm usually over in the kids' ministry teaching. You're like, are you sure you're not doing a kids' message, like envy and all these things? And it's, it's actually something that when you don't think about it, it doesn't really come up in your, like, list of things that you pray for. Like, Lord, don't help me to be envious today. But in reality, it's actually a very common, it's a very common thing. And so, obviously, when we think about envy, we think about times when we look at somebody else and we think, hey... You know, maybe they're really talented in sports. Maybe they're a great actor. Maybe their business is uh, super successful. And we're just like, man, why them? Right? Why them and not me? And and I just want to, like, ask a question. Is is this a safe place? Can I be honest with you guys for a second? Can I just confess something to you? I'll go first. How's that? Okay? With envy. All right? This happened to me back in 2018. Okay? So uh, some of you may know my son, uh, Logan, usually he, uh, he actually plays the drums up here on some Sunday mornings. He plays the drums uh, on Wednesday nights uh, for our student ministry band. But his name, his name is, is Logan because my favorite character, my favorite Marvel character growing up was Wolverine. Was Wolverine. And when you think of Wolverine, he's, you, most, some people don't know that his real name is Logan, right? And, I, and so some of you just lost respect for me because as a pastor, I think I'm supposed to name my kids after characters in the Bible, um, but I didn't, so we're, we're just going to have to move on, right? Like, I, I didn't. So my favorite Marvel character is Wolverine. I think we have a picture of, 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 of Hugh Jackman. What a guy, right? I mean, look at it. And fellas, listen, fellas, I actually, it took me a while to scroll to find a picture with a shirt on, so you're welcome because, guys... 
everybody besides Richard, I don't know where he is, puts all of us to shame, right? And so Hugh Jackman, he played, like, when he came out, the, the, the movies were coming out when I was in high school. I loved the movies. He did an awesome job. And as a kid, I was like, who wouldn't want, like, titanium metal throwing out of your hands and, and being indestructible, right? Wolverine, and that's why I named my son Logan. But this is, it may surprise you, this is not actually where I became very envious, right? It's when Hugh Jackman decided to come out with this little gem. I was a latecomer to this movie, okay? I didn't see it in the theater. I had a lot of friends. They saw it like seven times. Who here saw it more than once in the theater? Just raise your hand. Yeah. Thank you for being honest. So there was, there was a time when this was like, it was wildly popular. I think it still is. But like most of you, like most of you, when, it, when I finally got around to seeing it, it was unbelievable. Like, right? It was, it was awesome. And, and I was like, Hugh, like, save some talent for the rest of us. Like, he's a manly man who can, like, pull, like, like, metal out of his hands, but then he can sing and dance, too? Man. So I, I was envious. I was like, man, like, I don't have any of those things, and maybe, maybe, maybe some of you can do one or two, two of those things, but not many of us have all of those things. And I guess the question is, have you ever felt that way? Now, again, I, I bring a kind of a lighthearted approach to more of a serious question, more of a serious question, because when we look at the pictures and we think about you know, have you ever looked at somebody else and been envious of them? We can be kind of lighthearted about it and say, you know, I wish I could sing like Taylor Swift or I wish I could act like whoever your favorite actor is or something like that. But in the end of the day, a lot of us can look at someone else's life and start to think, why them? Why them and not me? And that, that, that idea of envy starts to creep into our life. And, and so it might surprise you, it may surprise you that there was a man that wrote Psalm 73, his name is Asaph, had the very same emotions that a lot of us do. He looked around the world, and he had to answer this question. What am I going to allow to satisfy me today? And I believe that question has to be answered by us every single day. What am I going to allow that's going to satisfy me today? And Asaph had to answer that question. And may, some of you may not know, Asaph was a very important person in his day. He actually was one of the chief musicians in King David's court, which means he was in charge of making music, writing songs. And a lot of these psalms are poetry and songs that they would, they would sing to remember God's love, God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's trustworthiness, as Matt mentioned last week. But when you look at Asaph today... This psalm is not necessarily this triumph of attitude. Now, some of it will be, but when we get into the psalm, it's actually a very emotional, vulnerable psalm that Asaph wrote. And it speaks to me, and I think no matter where you are in the faith journey, it's going to speak to you as well. You could be someone who's here for the first time and thinking, I'm going to try this religion thing out, or you could be someone who's been saved for 50 years and thinking to yourself, what is all good for? I think it'll speak to all of us. So we're going to jump into Psalm 73. If you have your Bible, uh, you, can, you can open it up. If you have your phone, you can open it up. But if you didn't bring either, we'll have this, the, the, the verses on here uh, for you to, to enjoy. So Psalm 73, verse 1. He, uh, he opens up with, God is indeed good to Israel and to the pure in heart. So Asaph writes this psalm as more of a retrospective. 
As we get into chapter, uh, verse 1, he writes it as a retrospective, which means he's, he's letting us know that, hey, listen, after what, what comes after this, I just want you to know God is good. That God is good. He's proclaiming that God's goodness is more important, and he knows that now. But if we look at verse 2, he says this, but as for me, but as for me, so God is good, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. He said, God is good, but if I was really honest, I'm in a hard place. It doesn't change that God is good, but if I was honest, I'm in a hard place. And I hope that some of us in this room, we probably saw somebody, Lord willing, you saw somebody before you walked in and you smiled and you said hi, you shook hands and how's it going? And I, I pray that a lot of us would say, hey, God is good. But maybe you probably maybe followed it up with, but I'm not in a great place. Well, the good news is, is you're in good company. You're in good company because he says, my feet nearly slipped and I nearly went, I nearly went astray. Asaph is saying, I almost threw in the towel. And in verse 3, he actually says why. He says this, for I envied the arrogant and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It's interesting, right? He said, I, I, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually looking at around me and I'm almost saying, you know what? This thing isn't working anymore for me because I envy the people who don't have any issues. And I see the prosperity of people who don't follow God. And, and, and like I said, this is a very vulnerable psalm that Asaph is, is, talking, or me, Asaph is talking about. And envy is a very natural human emotion. I believe that all of us feel it. At some point in your life, you feel it. It's like anger, right? All of us feel anger. All of us feel jealousy. It's one of those base, natural human emotions that I don't believe anybody's exempt from. And he said, I envied the arrogant. And if you don't know what envy means, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't really envy anybody. Let me just show you what envy actually means. Envy means this, a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. It's a very well-rounded definition because, listen, have you ever felt discontent with what you have? Have you ever felt resentful longing? Meaning, again, how come they get that and I don't? How come I think I do everything right and still have to feel like I struggle? And then, he go, and then the, 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 the definition says this. It's by someone else's possessions, which means they, they have the car, they have everything that they want, or, or maybe someone else's qualities, like, man, I wish I could look like them or, or sing like them or act like them or have patience like them or just plain dumb luck, right? How are they always so lucky? I had a guy, you know, you know people say that, you know, you shouldn't play the lottery, I, I knew a guy, I was one of my dad's friends, I knew a guy who every time he played the lottery, he won. Even if it was 50 bucks. He, yeah, I'm sure he lost, so don't get me wrong. I, I didn't know him up. But he won, like, I was there, he won two times $5,000. I was like, what? Like, how is he so lucky, right? And you may be thinking, how are these people so lucky? Why do they always get something? And this is where we're at. This is where Asaph is at. He's feeling this discontented, resentful longing for somebody. For I envied the arrogant and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And listen, when envy creeps into our life, here's the issue. We start to become discontent with what God is doing. Envy, 
will drive us to the discontentment of the things that God has blessed us with. And we're going to get into that here in a second. See, that word prosperity doesn't just mean financial wealth, which it has that connotation, sure. It means that when Asaph looks out, when he sees the prosperity, this is what he means. It means peace. They have more peace than I do. Why do they seem like they're not as frustrated all the time? This completeness. And he says this safeness, this health, this satisfaction. Like Asaph is, is looking out amongst the people around him. And he's saying, I envy these things. And, and, and if, I think if we were honest, we would say we envy these things too. Who doesn't want more peace in their life? Who doesn't want more health? Who doesn't want to feel safe? Who doesn't want to have satisfaction? But the question I asked at the beginning is, will you make the choice who will have the satisfaction in your life? That's the, that's the question that we all have to answer. What are we going to do to have satisfaction in our life? And Asaph had to battle with this. And as we get into chapter, uh, verses 4 through 12, you're going to see that he begins to describe who these people are. And you're going to be surprised because Asaph never lists out a bunch of things that he's envious for. Asaph never goes, I want more wagons. You know, they have, they have chrome wheels. They have nicer horses. They have all these things. He doesn't go starting listing out all these things that they have. He, start, he starts to list out their qualities. See, Asaph didn't look at them and go, I want what they possession have. He wanted their, what it seemed like, their peace, their completeness, their health. Look at verse 4. It says, they have an easy time until they die and their bodies are well fed. It says, their bodies die without, but their bodies die without illness. They don't even die like the rest of us, right? They're always eating good food. Verse 5 says, they're not in trouble like the others. They're not afflicted like most people. He goes, as they go through life, they don't even have the same consequences as the rest of us. And I think if you were to see the news and, and the powerful and the wealthy of our society, you'd probably say the same thing, right? It doesn't matter who's going to get in trouble because they're wealthy enough and powerful enough, they'll just get out of it. No one has to pay if you're wealthy and powerful enough. You don't even have to pay like the rest of us do. They're going to get out of it. They can afford the best of everything, the best lawyers, the best counsel. And he says in verse 6, because of all those things, therefore... Pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. It says in verse 7, their eyes bulge out from fatness, and their imaginations of their hearts run wild. What he's saying is, is these people are so prideful, they actually put pride on like you would like a necklace. Like your favorite necklace you put it on, they just walk around like that all the time. This is who they are. Their pride, and then he says the, the, their wallets are fat. Like when he says the fatness, he doesn't just mean like their weight or anything like that. He's saying that they have whatever their heart desires. Their imagination is the only limit to their possibility. So again, he's listing out not people's possessions, but he's listing out their qualities. And remember what it said in verse 2. I almost went astray. Excuse me, verse 3, it says... Because I envied these people. So it may sound like right now that Asaph is talking about them because this is a retrospective in a bad way. But in the moment, Asaph was actually saying, no, I want this. I, like, this sounds good to me. 
In verse 8, it says, They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. Verse 9, they set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. He's just getting deeper and deeper with how prideful they really are. They mock and speak maliciously and they, they threaten arrogant, uh, excuse me, they threaten oppression. Again, we've all probably seen around our world this happen. Is these people, they do whatever they want. They're not worried about what you think of them. They're too wealthy to worry about what you think of them. The pride that they have, it doesn't matter what we say, it doesn't matter what we do, they'll just do something about it. And then, listen, can you imagine how Asaph feels? Can you relate to how Asaph must feel in his day? In verse 9, it says, they set their mouths against heaven. Again, Asaph was a guy who wrote songs, poems, to be able to, for people to sing so that their mouths could speak glory to God. And he sees people around him and he's saying, no, no, all these people do is mock heaven. He lays out what he's seeing daily in people. I think it's important for all of us to remember. I think we see these people too. Asaph is talking about this in a very personable way. He's actually saying these things as if he's met some of these people. Maybe you have too. Maybe you can relate to some of what he's saying. He goes on in verse 10, he says, Therefore, his people, meaning God's people, turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. This is an interesting saying. He says, therefore, because they have so much pride, because they have so much power, so much prosperity, so many things that they have in their life, therefore, everybody goes to them for advice. Everybody goes to them for their, to meet their needs, to, to be found, to be, to be welcomed. And friends, I think that this has been magnified in our culture. No, none more magnified than our social media, right? Just because someone has 5 million followers doesn't mean they're more valuable than anyone else in the world. But people treat them that way. Right? If someone tweets something about a certain situation or someone says something, automatically everybody flocks to that. And they listen to these people. I'm not saying they're always wrong. But here's what I'm saying. That shouldn't be the only criteria that we ha they have to meet in order for us to listen. We have to be able to discern. And what Asaph is saying here is their people drink in their overflowing words. And friends, we don't want to internalize anything. But this, there's good advice out there. There's people that you should trust that are, that are godly people. But friends, if you're looking, if you're looking for advice, if you're looking for something that you should follow, that you should listen to, my advice to you would be the best-selling book of all time. The scriptures. Because these people who just sit there and they mock and they just talk all the time and we just start drinking in their words and we take, for, we take the, what they say and we internalize it and think that it's true. And friends, like I saying, I'm not always saying that it's not true, but it's a dangerous game to play when the only criteria we have is if they're famous. Verse 11, he says, the wicked say, how, how can God know? Does the most high know everything? The, again, these people are saying, listen, if there's a God out there, he doesn't know what I'm doing because I'm doing just fine and I don't believe in him. I don't listen to anything he says. 
And look at me, I'm doing just fine. And then Asaph ends this, this section where he says, look at them, the wicked. They're always at ease and they increase their wealth. They're always at ease. Once again, how many times have we seen an interview with somebody who's famous and we think, man, why do they always seem so happy? They always seem so fun-loving and excited. You've never had that thought? Man, their problems just don't seem as big as mine. And at the end of the day, we have to make a choice of what's going to satisfy us. And again, I just want to come back to verse 3. Asaph envied these people. And again, if we're in a moment of vulnerability, in a moment of honesty, I would say that we've all kind of been there. We've all got to a point in our life when we're like, why do they seem like they have everything and I don't? I mean, because to me, sometimes most of my problems seem like they'd be fixed with some more money. Right? If I just had a little bit more money, a lot of my problems would go away. If people just listen, when I talk, a lot of my problems would go away, (laughs) right? And I know money, right? Money doesn't buy happiness. We all know that. But does it rent happiness? Like, like maybe? We all thought that, right? We think that some of these things happen. But in the reality, Asaph was, was saying, look at these people. Look at them. They're always at ease. Maybe you felt that way. And maybe you've had personal experience with these kind of people. And they've oppressed you, or they've beaten you down. As we're reading this, I don't want to lose sight that, again, Asaph is not saying how great their house is, how nice their clothes are. He's saying, look at the way they act. Wouldn't that be nice to not care about anybody? To just live your life and not care about what people think of you? Just do whatever you want? For a moment, he looked at the lifestyle And he became unhappy with his. Because if you look at verse 13, we see Asaph became very unhappy. He said, did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? I don't know about you, this this speaks to me. As a guy who, who works in ministry, as a guy who does this, there are times when, am I doing all this for nothing? And again, maybe, you, maybe you've had this idea because Asaph devoted his life to the worship of God, to the leading of worship of God. And, and he said, did I purify my hands and my heart for nothing? Did I do all this, all the time in prayer, all the time caring for people, all the time that I've spent doing all of these things? Where has it gotten me? He answers the question in verse 14. He says, he says for I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. That's where it's gotten them. Did I peer from my hands for it? Listen, I, all I do is, is I wake up every morning with affliction. And that word affliction can sometimes have, a, have a just, a, it's a hard to, 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 to narrow down, but this is what it literally means. It literally means beaten down. He goes, I wake up every morning and I just feel beaten into the ground. I just feel like nothing ever works out. That my life just seems like it just keeps going like this. Over and over and over again, the next turn, boom, the next turn, boom. 
And again, maybe you're feeling like this. Maybe you're feeling this affliction in your life. And maybe some of you thought that religion was going to fix everything and that coming to church was going to fix everything. But all of a sudden, a month after starting to coming to church, this honeymoon period wore off and life seemed to go back to what it was before. And you're thinking to yourself, was it worth it? I mean, I'm giving up my Sunday here. Is is this worth coming to church? Is it worth doing my quiet time? Is it worth spending time with God? Because it seems like things aren't really working out the way that I thought they were. And again, Asaph is in a pretty low point. And in verse 15, if you can imagine, it gets a little lower. He says this, If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. If I had decided to say that, he, he, he was so worried about saying some of these things out loud because he was afraid that people would think he's gone off the deep end, that he's, he's quitting. And, and friends, listen, The church should be a place where we can be honest with each other. If we can't be honest with our struggles with each other, who can we be honest with? And and Asaph is sitting here saying, I was scared to say these things out loud. Because he didn't want to betray people. He didn't want to go into it and say, hey, listen, the people, like, I'm, I'm supposed to never feel this way. The people that don't, haven't given their lives to God, what if, what if they find out that I'm feeling this way? And, and what if they start following me and I walk away from God? And, and he starts having these conversations, and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but this is what he's thinking. And then he says this, when I tried to understand all of this, it seemed Hopeless. And some of your translations, the word hopeless may, seem, may say it troubled me deeply or it, it was a wearisome task. And, and Asaph is saying, listen, I tried to make sense of all this and I am exhausted. All these things are true about life and I'm just trying to put it all on a line. I'm trying to say, God, why are you doing all of these things and why do I feel this way? And he goes, and at the end of all of those questions, he seemed hopeless and in verse 2, he says, but as for me, this is where he says it, my feet almost slipped and my steps nearly went astray. And I'll ask you this again. I'd say in a crowd this size, there's somebody here that is trying to make sense of some things. And the more you try and make sense of it, the more hopeless you feel. And in reality, in reality, the question we have to answer is not, how do I make sense of all this? It's going to be, where do I find my satisfaction? Because trying to make sense of things from God's perspective is impossible because we're human. Right? We don't have, we don't have the, the infinite perspective that God has. We don't have the wisdom that God has. So we can only deal with what's in front of us. And so the question I'm going to ask you and the question that Asaph is going to answer here in just a minute is, what satisfies you? That is the question I have to ask myself. That's the question we all have to ask ourselves in these moments. Because in verse 17, it's going to change. In verse 17, Asaph decides what's going to satisfy him. He says this in verse 17. 
until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Perspective change. Right, a few months, or last month, I think that uh, Pastor Chris was up here. He was doing a, a, an illustration that I love, and, and, uh, and it's, he had this long rope, right? He had this massively long rope, and in that long rope, he had dipped a little bit of, uh, he painted a little bit of it red, and he said, basically, this is your life in regards to, 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 to eternity. And in reality, eternity is a line forever that way and a line forever that way. Basically, there's no even way we could put our, our life in that line, right, and, and be able to see it. It's so small, and Asaph goes, I changed my perspective because I understood that this life isn't forever. That no matter what happens in this life, it's not forever. Forever is with God. Until I understood their destiny. Verse 18, he says, Indeed, you put them in slippery places, you make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation! They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one walking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. I want to go back to the idea that this is, this is the Lord speaking to these people and their pride. I can't explain to you how much God hates pride. And when Asaph was explaining all of the verses in the first portion of Psalm 73, he was talking about these, these, these people's attitude toward God. And he says that it, it, look, God's going to put them in a place where they're going to fall into ruin. He says, they come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one walking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you're going to take them away. He's saying this life is like when you dream and then you wake up. And you're like, oh, whew, glad that's over. It's so small. But he's speaking, to, he's speaking towards these people like, listen, all of these things, all of this envy that we have for all of these people, sometimes we just have to remember that none of that lasts in this life. None of it. And there have been people who have had everything and then in a day had nothing. It's all so small, so infantile. And in the, in the grand scheme of eternity, it's like nothing. I mentioned earlier, I can't overstate how much that God hates pride. And in 1 Peter 5, it, it kind of it, it mentions that God resists the proud. And this, is, this is the back half of the verse. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And for, as, as a Jesus follower, this is a scary verse. Because as a Jesus follower, Jesus says that we're going to fight against the current of the world, right? It's just a natural thing. If we follow Jesus, we're going to fight against the current of the world. We should be going a different way than everybody else because we're following Jesus as he's going that way. But if we do it with pride in our heart, the Bible says that God is actively working against us as well. If we have pride in our heart, not only is the world working against us, but then God is resisting us too. But he, listen, listen, but he gives grace to the humble. That word grace is the most beautiful word. Have you, have, maybe, uh, it's been in my life, maybe you felt it too. Have you ever been, you know, uh, struggling with confessing a sin or confessing something to somebody? And then all of a sudden you get the bravery and the Holy Spirit works in your life and you say it, you confess it. And there's this 
<sighs> have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt this? <sighs> or maybe you've been so worked up and so worried about a situation, and then all of a sudden you pray and just say, God, I'm going to bed. Like, I'm done with this. You handle it. And it's this, <sighs> that's what this is. That's what this grace is. It's, it's this breath of fresh air. It's this picking up of a thousand pound weight and putting it down. Because friends, no matter where you are in your life, nothing is too big for God, but we have to humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. And some of us are sitting here and we're lying to ourselves and we're saying, listen, I know Josh is saying you have to humble yourself, but if somebody found out about this, I don't know what they would do. I don't know how they would react. And I picture it like this. If I told you to get the biggest rock you could find, I'm talking one that you could barely lift off the ground, right? You, you, you pick this rock up and you're, you're carrying it like this, like a sumo wrestler, right? Just carrying it like this. And every five steps, you put it down because it's too heavy. And you're walking around your life carrying this rock. And I took you west and I took you to the ocean. We went out about two miles into the ocean. And you picked up that rock and I said, throw it overboard. And you threw it. We just threw it into the ocean. The ocean would swallow that rock as if it didn't even exist. That's our problems in light of who God is. That, that rock, we could barely lift it. But when you put it into the ocean, it's like it's nothing. When we, when we take our problems, our issues, our honesty just to God, he gives grace to those people who will humble themselves. And in fact, Asaph does that. Asaph goes into this, this, this two couple verses where he humbles himself. He says, when I became embittered and the innermost being was wounded of this, I was stupid and I didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you. Don't, don't miss that word embittered. He said, when I, my, when I became embittered in my innermost being, he said, I was bitter to my core. It wasn't just that I wanted something. My soul was unsatisfied. My soul was unsatisfied. Those are very important words. And he comes to the end of himself, he says, and I didn't understand. A couple of verses before, he said, when I tried to understand these things, I was just trying and trying. And finally, he said, you know what? I was just being stupid. And you're like, man, Josh, you call me stupid? No, maybe the Bible is, but I'm not. I'm just kidding. This idea is, is that we all have to come to the end of ourselves, friends. And again, you could, be, you could be here for the first time. And you're thinking, I'm just going to try this religion thing. And I'm just going to encourage you that eventually you're going to have to come to the end of yourself. You're going to have to come to the end of your understanding about life, your understanding about your relationships, your understanding. You have to come to the end of all that understanding and go, God, you, you know better. And if, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to eventually have to come to the end of your understanding about what you think life should be like. And say, God knows better. God knows better. And in verse 25, excuse me, verse 23, it says, Yet I am with you always. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you take me up into glory. 
In verse 25, he answers the question we all have to answer. What satisfies you? He says, who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. And friends, listen. If that's not your answer, then we're going to be in this constant loop of dissatisfaction. He says, who do I have in heaven but you? Asaph turned his affections to God to satisfy his life. He stopped looking at what everybody else had and started looking with the most important thing that he had. It was God. It was God. Asaph looked around. He saw everyone, saw what they had to offer, and his affections turned to those things. And friends, listen, as a Jesus follower, this is difficult, especially right now. Like Black Friday deals, all the things. You're like, I want that, 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 right? And when we do that, we turn our affections towards those things. And when we turn our affections towards things, we start to look to those things for satisfaction. Because Jesus said, where your heart is, your affections, there your treasure will be also. What you satisfy yourself with. And as we look at other things and we look at all around us, if I could put it as simply as I can, are you willing to say, God is enough? This is so much easier to say than it is to live. And I'm not trying to make light of anyone's circumstances in this moment. Please hear me on that. I know that there are things in life, in our lives collectively, that we would all go, oh my goodness. But I'm just here to tell you that the most important thing we have is God. And I want to make this distinction because I think it's important. I want to ask you a question. Do you love God or do you love what God can do for you? I've been in student ministry for a long time. I was uh, with an organization called Word of Life, and I started working in student ministry when I was 19 years old. So a whole four years, I think. Uh, just kidding, 20 years. I, and I have seen this happen. I, I've seen parents leave the faith because they thought bringing their kids to church that God would fix everything. And their, their kid didn't get fixed. I've seen people who, who tried God because they thought, well, I, just, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. And then when God didn't do exactly what they wanted for them, they left because how dare God not meet my needs? My question is this. Do you love God? Because if you only love what God can do for you, we're so skewed in our thinking that we, we just want God to, to be our genie, right? We just want to rub the lamp every day, give him our list of demands, and say, hey, listen, I'll, I'll be over here while you fix these things. Now, can God do all of those things? Without a doubt. But we have to want fellowship with God. Friends, when you do your quiet time, the focus should be on fellowship. Time spent. Any relationship is built in proximity, Right? Any relationship is stronger in proximity. The more time you spend together, the better that relationship should get. 
Now, obviously, when you, get, when you open your, the Bible, you should get something out of it, and God is talking to you and speaking to you. But the fulfillment comes when we just rest in the presence of God. It's the same thing when we think about what God wants from us, not just what we want from God. Are we willing to stop asking God for things that we think we need and just saying, God, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna continue to obey you in the midst of what's going on in my life and I'll wait for you to fix the things I think need to be fixed. Because I love you whether you fix them or not. John Piper, who's a, who was a pastor, he's retired now, he had a quote that rocked me when I was a little bit younger. He asked this question. If God wasn't in heaven, would you still want to go there? I was like, what? Like, of, of course, right? Like, but do you, do we, we talk about, well, I mean, the mansions that God is building and the streets of gold and, and all those things are always great. They're good. They're, that's what God is doing for us. But that shouldn't be what we go there for. That should just be the magnificence and the glory of our great God that he would not just spend time with us. He would make us a house. Right? He would make it beautiful for us. If God wasn't in heaven, would you still want to go? It's a hard question to answer for some of us. Because here's, here's, what, here's what it says in verse 26. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my life or my heart and my portion forever. The only thing the believer has in this life that is worth bragging about is God. That's it. That's the only thing we have in this life that's worth bragging about. So I have a question. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've, maybe you're new or maybe you've been doing this thing for a long time, do you see sin? Do you see envy for the sin that it is? Do you see envy for the sin that it really is? It's not something that little kids struggle with. It's something that we all struggle with. And eventually, envy will eat us alive. In verse 21, it says that he that Asaph became embittered to his very soul because he envied what people had. Envy is consumed with self. That's what eats us alive. It only, it, it only creates motivation for us to make decisions based on our needs and not what God wants from us. Again, I'm not trying to say that there's not needs in your life that you need. Like the, all of that is still true. But my question at the beginning and my question this whole time is, what will satisfy you? That's the question we have to answer because envy will always be consumed with me, me. Another thing, envy always keeps score. Envy will always keep score. Oh, they got that thing? Watch this. Oh, they, they have this? Well, now that, oh man, did you hear their testimony about their marriage? Why can't we have a marriage like that? Envy will always keep score. It'll always try and say, well, you have this, so I, I deserve this. And at the end of the day, I truly believe that it doesn't just happen with belongings, it happens in our relationships. Why can't you be a better husband like he is? Why can't you be a better wife like she is? And we start to 
envy other people's relationships and become dissatisfied with ours, then we make stupid decisions. And the only satisfaction we really need is what God gives us. And the final thing, envy keeps things bottled up. I can't stress this enough. Envy keeps things bottled up. And when Asaph was saying, I couldn't tell anybody. Friends, I don't want you to ever think that you don't have anybody to talk to. That you don't have anybody to, to be honest with. I, I could speak for Pastor Chris and myself, Luke, some of the people that work here. I, we, we'll, we'll listen. We'll listen. And it's not a listen because we're going to judge you with what you say. It's a listen because we may, may not have the answer, but we know who does. Don't let envy lie to you and think that you can't be honest with somebody. Because as soon as we humble ourselves, God pours this grace on us. And it's a beautiful thing. There's a... This, kind of story reminded me of a, a person. His name is Horatio Gates Spafford. He was an investor in real estate in the central business district of the city of Chicago in the 1800s. It was known as the Loop. He was an esteemed leader at Fullerton Avenue Presbyterian Church. He participated in volunteer ministry with celebrated evangelist D.L. Moody. He had a wonderful wife, named Anna, and five children, one son and four daughters. They owned 12 acres of land north of Chicago, and by all looks of it, he was wildly successful. He went to church. He was a Sunday school teacher. He was blessed beyond whatever he can imagine. But as we all know, being blessed does not exempt us from tribulation. And the first wave of, the, of scarlet fever broke out and claimed the life of his young son, who was four years old. In the same year, 1871, the famous Chicago fire happened, and though none of his family was harmed in the fire, almost all of his real estate properties were burned. And because this, this year had been so tumultuous, his family being overwhelmed, especially his wife, he thought it'd be good for them to get away and go over to Europe for a month just to kind of get away and change their 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 scenery. So him, his four daughters, and his wife made the trek over to New York City to catch a boat over to Europe. As they caught the boat, as they got there, Horatio got a telegram that he was needed back in Chicago. And as he was needed back in Chicago, he left and he just sent his family on without him. His wife, his four daughters got on a boat. After about a day of sailing, they were in the middle of the ocean. And in the middle of the night at 2 a.m., another boat crashed into them. There's an ironclad in the boat that his family was on sunk in 12 minutes. His wife was found floating unconscious on a board and his four daughters were never found. They were 11, 9, 5, and 2. After his wife Anna came to, she sent a telegram that just said this, all is lost, what are we going to do? 
And as Horatio Spade, uh, uh, Batford, excuse me, got this telegram, obviously he rushed to the next boat. And he, when he got on a boat, he began to sail. And the captain, knowing his story, knowing what happened, came to him at about the time that his, where the, the boats had crashed. And as they came to that time, he said, hey, listen, this is where your daughters died. At that moment, Horatio had a choice to make. What was going to satisfy him? Maybe some of you don't know that he went down to his room and he wrote a poem called When Peace Like a River, more widely known as It Is Well With My Soul. And in the moment of his most terrible tragedy, he made the choice to allow God to satisfy him. And maybe some of you don't know what the poem is. Verse 1 says this, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And oh, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. He made a choice in the midst of a tragedy to answer the question, who's going to satisfy my soul? And friends, all of us have to make that choice. And maybe you're in here and you don't know Jesus as your personal savior. You don't know this God who can satisfy your soul. And you're thinking to yourself, if I lost my whole, all my kids, all my property, everything that's important to me, there's no way How can anybody write those words in the midst of that? And the answer to that question is this. Because at the very end of the day, he says, my sin was taken away by God. And if he does nothing else for me, that's enough. And if you're in here and you've never given your life over to God, you've never come to the end of yourself and said, God, here, I want to give you my soul so that you can satisfy it. I want you to forgive me of my sins. If you've never done that, today is the day that you can do that. You can make that choice. Let's close in prayer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And and friends, maybe you're here because you've tried everything else. You've tried everything that satisfies your soul. You've tried everything that you thought would work. You thought this would satisfy that I would never have to need anything else. And when that thing came, you found yourself continuing to want. The Bible says this. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. As you think through your whole life, none of it matters if you don't have God. Jesus said this, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? 
but lose his soul. So if you're in here and you want to make that decision, if you're in here and you want God to forgive you of your sins, the Bible says this, all you have to do is confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. You'll have your sins forgiven. Is there anybody in here that says, Josh, listen, I've never done that and I want to. I've never done that, but I want to make that choice today. If that's you, the belief in your heart is what's going to save you, but I believe that this is a, something between you and God and you and God alone. It's not between me and you. So I want you to have a conversation with God. And if you're in here and you're saying, Josh, I, I want that, you can say something like this. And again, it's not, it's not about what, you, what I say, but if maybe you've never prayed before, you can say something like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that because of my sin, I'm separated from you. But right now, the best I know how, I put my faith and my trust in you as my only way to heaven, as my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And lead me in the way that I should go. Friends, listen, if you've made that decision, we want to celebrate with you. This is not a time for, for us to be timid, to be nervous. This is the best decision of your life. And friends, in a few minutes, we're going to have some people standing down front. We're going to have some people standing at these aisles. They'll be singing, but if you come forward, they'll talk to you. They'll pray with you. And maybe you just want to be honest with them today. Maybe you're like, Josh, I've made that decision before. I just, I need to talk to some people. Friends, listen, during this song, that's the invitation. That's the time. Come on down. And maybe you want to wait till after church. That's perfectly fine. Find me, Pastor Chris, somebody, and you want to talk. Don't wait. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. Come if you feel needed.